Welcome to The Laneway, where we delve into all things health, fitness, lifestyle, and sustainable fat loss. But coming at you with an unbiased, educational, and hopefully entertaining approach. Welcome to episode number 71 of The Laneway podcast. You're going to have to bear with us during this podcast as both Ash and I have recently been unwell and we did our very, very best to hold back the coughing as we went through these questions. Speaking of questions, question number one, how important is it to track biofeedback? Question number two, any tips while breastfeeding? Can I do the challenge? Can I be in a deficit? Question number three, why can some people seem to eat more than others? Question number four, what to do when you don't have enough time to train? Question number five, how do I find my deficit calories? No, you hang up. <laughs> no, you hang up. <laughs> oh my goodness. This feels weird. This feels strange. Has it been two weeks? Nah, we've missed one episode and this one's late. Late? It's half a week late. This thing was any later, <laughs> you'd be pregnant. It's how late this episode is. I um, I don't know about you, but something I've noticed today is that when I laugh excessively, it tur- um, triggers me into a coughing fit. Yeah, this is you. So you're going to have to, um, apologies in advance if there's extra snot. Extra fl- <laughs> phlegm. Oh, see how I don't know if anyone can hear that. Yeah. It just it sounds horrid, and it feels not ideal either. No, I'm like I think that I got pneumonia. So <laughs> okay. I just so, coughed uh, into the microphone. Sorry. Fire up, guys! So anyone that doesn't know, Ash and I thought we were superhuman. We did. And we were confused <laughs> as to how on earth we had not had the spicy flu. We had been in and around everyone that had had it. We expected just to get it. We weren't doing anything necessarily to avoid getting it. You know, we weren't taking extra vitamins or anything. We weren't doing... We were before and then we just gave up. We weren't doing anything (laughs) to try and get it. We were just living life waiting till we were attacked. And the truth is... I don't know where the hell I got it from. Well, all the times that we had been super close contacts and then that person is like, oh, by the way, you know, I'm sick. Yeah. And we're like, oh, my God, this could be it. And then we'd never, we wouldn't just, it never came. And yeah. I, the next day I'd be like, you'd be like that afternoon, like, oh, my God, I think I've got a tickle in my throat. This is it. And then because you'd forget about it a few days later, you'd be like, oh, that's right. Yeah. I thought I was going to get corona, but I never got it. Yeah. Well, this was the first time that actually, well, I know where I got it from. Me. But <laughs> we don't know where you got it from. I don't know. And the weirdest thing is, like, I may have been contagious and just been like, I don't, I'm not sick because all I had was just a cough. And I've had that exact cough before. I had just the cough and days have gone by and I'm just coughing and I'm like, this is so weird. I had no runny nose, nothing, just a dry cough. It wasn't even like a tickly throat. It was just like, what is this thing? And then after about four days, then it developed into Uh, coronavirus. coronavirus where like you, Brad and I both were 
So I reckon I had the cough and then when I felt my worst, so did you pretty much at the same time, but you skipped that weird cough crap. Mm, I called up. I was feeling uh, like lonely or whatever, yeah. like a bit left out. So I just I yeah. zoomed from like – Coffee McCough to four, four sick, sick. Yeah, because you were unwell for yeah quite a few days. Yeah, and just like, like weird. <clears throat> hit me one day and then the next day, that was it. I was in bed for a couple of days and then. Well, it was honestly, it was silly. Like it was wavy. Like it was like, I remember we saw Dane and Nadine on Friday and Nadine hugged me and she goes, you're hot. And I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm like, I'm fi- like, I, w- I, did, I felt like I'd, I was sitting in front of the fire. Mm. So I'm like, I'm sitting in front of the fire. Like I felt fine. I just have this weird cough. And then Sunday, a uh, Saturday, sorry, obviously we had Brad's party and I actually felt fine all day. Mm. And then Sunday, I actually thought that we were really hungover. But I actually think that Sunday was when we were just actually corona. And I tested on Sunday and I was like, I kind of laughed. I did. I, admittedly, I laughed. I was like, are you kidding me? Like, are you serious? Like of all times, mm. the day after your party, like obviously we're walking around here infected. Yeah, just animals, just absolute animals walking around spitting over everyone. I wasn't spitting at anybody. <clears throat> Sharing a snorkel. I didn't share a snorkel and neither did you. There you go. So we're good. In that sense, so yeah. So we've had, um, this is my first podcast as a 40-year-old. Oh my God, yes. Yeah. It's crazy. Feels, I feel old now. Do you really? No, bro. Are fucking kidding me? I feel like I'm 30 still. I feel, I feel fantastic. I reckon I feel, I definitely am mentally better at 40 than I am at, I was at 30. Mm. Did I discuss on the podcast about being sad about turning 30? Yeah, Yeah. I think that was because it was just, we did the potty just before the party or something. I don't know. Okay, I can't remember because I've been infected with the bat flu. So, (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) I'm so sorry too. Anyway. Um, But I feel great. I uh, We we had the party. The party was awesome. It was a dress-up party. I had friends and family come from all over the country. So literally everywhere we had people come from and I've never felt so grateful for people to go out of the – I'm so sorry. I've never felt so grateful for people to come from anywhere and everywhere. Like – some people came, you know, so we obviously we had the girls, Slani and Erin, come, so from Mount Isa and Albury. We, I've got a lot of, um, not a lot of family. I have some family in Sydney, and so I had some family come up from Sydney. Some of your family came from Sydney, mm. and they literally had like a, well, Jordan and Kira had like a Disney on ice thing on the Saturday. On Friday, Friday afternoon. Drove through to make it here. Um, like we have had people come and then a lot of local people as well. Dano and Lisa came from Sydney and we have had a lot of people come from everywhere to make it. And it was really cool. I think the biggest one for me personally, and I, I know you can't pick favorites or whatever, but my brother came up yeah. from Sydney with his family and they stayed with us for a week and a half. Yeah. Something about this place, when people come and stay, they stay for longer. It's either something about this place or something about me saying, can you please stay for longer? (laughs) I don't know what it is. But (laughs) this place is just awesome to share with people. Yeah. And how long since we've seen my brother? It was the Christmas. 
2018. of 2018 Christmas, yep. 2019 New Year. And that was actually the first time we had seen them. So Since when was they the had time? A tribe of children. When was the time before that? Like before Casey was born. Pat, when um, their little one who's 11, he was just born. Okay. So nothing necessarily happened between me and my brother. We just weren't a particularly close family. And I guess we got to the age where we moved out. We left the nest and just did our own things. Got your own new families. Well, we just built new families, yeah. Yeah. And so we hadn't seen my brother in, in 2018, the Christmas 2018. We hadn't seen my brother yeah, in probably 10 years or something like that. Yeah, like a bit less. But, yeah, basically in the last 11 years we've seen them twice. Twice, all right. And yeah. so the, when we did catch up and see them, did they have they had the three kids at that point? Had they – or was Mickey born? No, yet? Mickey was just was just born, a baby. Yeah. Okay. So there was three kids plus a baby and we were sort of shocked about – actually the similarities between their kids and our kid. Yeah. How I was like, you can sort of tell their cousins or whatever. Yeah. Like they've got – Especially s- the girls. They were like similar natured. Yeah, they Very are. kind children. Even my brother's parent – my brother and I are quite different. But even their parenting style compared to ours was – there was like quite a lot of similarities. Yeah. And we were shocked back then because it, it was a bit of a mind blow. Well, we didn't you know? really know them. Yeah. We like, didn't know them at all and because we hadn't seen them in so long. Yeah. I remember my brother from, you know, 18, 19 when we used to hang out. But anyway, so I was looking forward to having them come up. They were meant to come up earlier in the year, but that got cancelled due to them getting COVID. And so then we arranged for them to come up for this. Yeah. And how good was it? It was, yeah, it was really cool. Like we just had obviously them, but it was just the whole week was – Last week was just an epic week of seeing just people that... All our favourite people in the world. Yeah, have uh, people that have been a part of our lives for a very long time. Obviously, they stayed here for a week and a half, I think it was. They've got four kids. So, our house was full for the last two weeks. And it was awesome. Like, it was so noisy, but like, good noisy. The noise of just kids... (laughs) Just having fun. Although, I must admit, like, I know you're saying it's great. When you've got COVID and you're dying... And there's kids screaming outside. I was like, can someone, can someone please tell all these children to shut up? It hurts your head. Yeah. But outside of that, it was. They weren't fighting. They were having a great time. They I don't, were laughing. I don't think I saw any of them have an argument. No, I didn't. I didn't. Yeah, not that, yeah, not that I saw. Yeah. But yeah, it was, it was awesome. Yeah. So we had a mad time. Yeah, it was so good. So, so good. And the party was a party. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I tell you what, I feel like we know how to throw a party, bro. Yeah. Like, it reminded me after our wedding, everybody, actually a lot of people that were at our, like, actual wedding, like our first wedding, not our re, um, getting remarried last year, but a lot of people that were at our first wedding were there on on your 40th. And um, it was, I remember after the day that we got married, we were like, everybody said that was the best wedding I've ever been to. So fun. So many people were saying that about your 40th. Like, they were like, that was epic. Mm. It was so much fun. Yeah. It was awesome. It was, it was so cool. good. It was pretty cool. We had um, we had waiters and bar staff and we had food and... Entertainment. We, we had the boys again. The, well, they were the Koi boys. Now they're... 
33 red official or whatever. Yeah. So we had them coming. And they're epic. They were awesome. They singing and dancing and Oh, it was it like was cool. it was so good. And, and then Nuz from the Koi Boys. So he it was him and a lot of people know who the Koi Boys are, which I was like I'm just talking about them like they're just our best mates. But Nuz sung at our wedding with one other guy called Kevin, who's not a part of the Koi Boys anymore. Anyway, um Nuz, I organised it with Nuz to come back here. He also sung by himself at our remarriage wedding last year. And then I organised Nuz as somewhat of a surprise for Brad. But there was a bit of like, I don't know, miscommunication as you might call it. He was flying in from Fiji on the on last Saturday and his flight was getting in at Brisbane at five o'clock. And he's like, Ash, I'm really sorry. I'm going to be late, but I'm sending two of these my band members and then I'll get there late and I was thinking like he won't come kind of but he rocked up and he was here for the last two three hours Mm. and it was epic the three of them like it's a full entertainment like our poor neighbors but yeah it was so good it was cool and it was awesome and it was a dress-up party it was and it was a dress-up party so Brad was Thor and I was Wonder Woman and um, everyone a, loved our costumes. I had a Thor head the next day. You did, oh, bro! I had a Thor head myself. It was yeah, it was a lot. It was yeah. a lot, but it was it was. We had so much fun. It was a really nice um, way to catch up with a lot of people that we haven't seen for many many years. So mm. yeah, it was cool. Until the next one, we've started our packing. We started our packing. Would you guys believe that we've been here for six months? It's, it's actually been over. Yeah. No. So. We moved in on February 15th. Uh, for some reason, I thought we did like an extra month or something weird like that. No. no. Okay. All right. There you go. February 15th. So we've got, we move out in two weeks. Yeah. Um, and we are officially homeless. Yeah. In two weeks time, which is nuts. And Casey keeps like, he's like a bit dirty about it. He's like, well, we're not like living in a house. And I'm like, we are. Airbnbs. He's like, yeah, but that's not our home. And I'm like, bro, we'll be fine. Yeah. Like no one's going to die. We're good. Yeah. Um, so we had to get a storage shed for our just bits and bobs and just like this whole in-between phase. It's just a bit weird, but we'll be fine. We're, we're good with it. We've been, yeah, we rented a trailer and we've been moving all our stuff into the storage shed. When we say all of our stuff, we don't have much. Well, also the merch too. The merch, yes. Yeah. Um, actually we'll talk about that too, but the merch is very, very close to being able to be in your hot little hands. Mm. Um, we are just literally, we're waiting on, so the bottles, our, um, drink bottles turned up first and there's a lot. So that takes up more than half of our storage shed. And then, um, the packaging that actually turned up on Friday, which is epic. But then we've been told that our towels are like within days away. So we were going to just press go when the bottles turned up and once the um, packaging turned up, but the bottle, uh, sorry, the towels are days away. So we're going to wait because there will be people that want to have the bottles and the towels. And We want to do like a, a package deal. Yeah, and like we'll you, do like a pre-sale too. Yeah, like you don't have to buy both. Yeah. But I just don't want, or well, we don't want people that would have bought both Yeah, get sad that they bought the bottle then a week later. There's a deal for a towel and a bottle and they yeah. go, oh, well, I wish I knew that. Yeah. So we're just going to just hold off that extra week or two so that everyone gets what they want. Exactly. 
And then we will, yeah, we'll have like a pre-sale. I don't know how long it will go for, but um, everything just pre-sale at a discounted rate and then... Brad 10. Then Brad Brad 10 and then it will go up and this is a one-off. So we're not rerunning these again either. So this design um, is like a... Yeah, so the bottles that we got, are we going to do that with a towel as well? Yeah. Okay. So the bottles that we got, which are the ones you may have seen Ash and I sporting over the past eight months or so, they are a limited number and that's it. We're not redoing them. No, we won't redo that design again. It'll be a one-off. You get the OG bottle and then that's it. They're done. They're done. (laughs) We retire that that, that design, that mould, whatever, and then we move on to something else. Yeah. Um, And the same with the towels. So we just got a limited number of those towels and we'll We'll just sell Once they sell, that's it. They're gone. And we, we always wanted to do that from the beginning. That was kind of like our idea. We were like, this is this will be the – we've called it the Giffy Doodle bottle, yeah. Giffy yeah. Doodle bottle. Um, and that was just our idea that we just wanted to, yeah, make it a limited edition and then, yeah, off it goes. Um, so Brad and I have one each, a black and a Ashley in pink. And actually in case has a black one too. He yeah. was so stoked when he got it, hey. He had to wait. He did. Yes. His was waiting. And then now it's like now you had to write your name on the bottom of yours. Yeah, because, yeah, I didn't know whose was whose. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's that. Yeah, but what have we done? The last two days we've spent pretty much moving um, the merch and just a few bits and pieces of ours into the storage shed. We are – We'll be in Airbnbs, several Airbnbs for the next few months until our place is ready. Oh, we've got a snow trip in the middle there too. Oh, and then we do have a snow trip in the middle, which I keep forgetting about. Hopefully this time we don't get rushed off the mountain. Exactly. Rushed off the mountain and then have that, you know, 12, 14 hour trip home or whatever it was, 12 hours home. So, yeah, well. so we've got a lot going on. We have a lot going on. And then in the midst of this, we've got four weeks left of this, our current group coaching. Um, is that it? Four weeks. Of le- that's oh it. Oh, my God. The last four weeks. Is, I just – and it, I know it will just go really, it, really quickly. It always does. They just – the year goes quick because it is broken up into those three groups. Yeah. And it just seems like you're getting some momentum in one. Yeah. And you're like, that's it. It's time to actually – we need to start strategizing for the next group. Exactly. It's and just like planning ahead on that one. It's just, yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's mind-blowing. Um, shall we get into these questions? Yeah, let's do it. All right. I haven't got them up. <laughs> You're having trouble? I'm having trouble. Give me one sec. All right, I've got them. Um, oh, I like this question. Question number one, how important is it to track biofeedback? Maybe explain what it is first. Uh, biofeedback is all of your um, markers like your sleep, your digestion, your mood, um, your strength when it comes to training, um, all uh, even personal best in, in your training in the gym, um, everything that can uh, your cycle day, anything like that, anything that can be used as part of progress or some kind of um, feedback from your body. Um, and and it might be used for anything uh, as easy or as simple as, um, did I gain weight? And the first thing you'll do is look at the biofeedback and go, okay, it's uh, either right at the end of the cycle or right at the start of your cycle. And it's um, super, super common for females to um, either 
at the start of their period or around ovulation to retain water, so to gain weight <laughs> on the scale, to see the scale go up. And it's just a spike. And actually all it is, it is actually water retention. That's all it is. Um, and so in as simple form as that, I guess one of the first questions that or one of the, the first places that you look when there is a spike is cycle day mm. and just see where exactly you are at in your cycle because um, sometimes at the start it can be um, a bit, you know, eyebrow raising for some chicks that haven't tracked their scale weight every single day before and they just kind of either avoid it or jump on it here or there. And some of these poor chicks might have jumped on it on day one of their cycle and gone, oh, my God, I'm two kilos heavier than the last time I weighed. I need to go on a giant diet or something, you know, and it's not until they start tracking every day and they go, oh, my God, Ash, my weight's up a kilo or two kilos or whatever. And you go, okay, well, if you look back at this time last month, it's day 15 of your cycle or day 14. That's right on ovulation for you. Last time you gained 1.8 kilos, it stuck around for four days and then it dissipated. This time you're up exactly 1.8 kilos again. And so we kind of know what to expect and we know what's caused it and we know what to do, which is nothing. We don't have to do <laughs> yeah. anything. So biofeedback can be um, as useful as something like that. It can also be um, useful for, let's say, if you've done your waist measurement and your waist is up two centimetres and you sh- shit yourself and you go, oh, my God, I've gotten fat overnight. Yeah. Um, if, you know, how often will you see you know, a, a spike on the waist and then in the digestion column, like bloating, bloating, bloating. Oh, my God, I feel like I'm going to explode. Yeah. Oh, my God, why is my waist up? Yeah. And you go, well, hang on a minute. You're lactose intolerant. You just ate a cheese pizza and now you're bloated. You're bloated. Yeah. And that's just affected your um, waist. So the simplest form of biofeedback can just be for things like that, can be literally everything that your body's doing behind the scenes and then I guess it can be it can also help with um, stress you know if your mood if you're constantly stressed and you're, you're living in a state of fight or flight constantly and you're seeing these the mood column you know just I'm so stressed oh this has happened I'm stressed again again we can see water attention you can find it difficult to lose weight adherence can be an issue in and around stressful times as well sleep's the same if you're having really poor sleep sleep something that's worth tracking for similar reasons as well so how important is it I would say that can you it'd be nearly impossible, not nearly impossible, it would be nearly impossible to hit your goal without tracking weight or waste because you would trick yourself into thinking if you're progressing, right? How can you tell if you're in a diet if you're not tracking the scale? Because you can't tell if you're gaining weight or losing weight, right? So those markers are near impossible. Is that the same with biofeedback? Look, no, it's not. It's not the same as that, but it's the next most important tier and it's the next thing that we look at in terms of day-to-day, you know, how's, how am I feeling, you know, because ultimately I would say 90-something percent of people probably will go through a phase where they're like, I feel like either this isn't working or I feel like I've gained weight or I feel, you know, and it's always I feel like, yeah, you know, and it's not until you have the opportunities to go back through that biofeedback and that paints the rest of the picture because sometimes – even for your own peace of mind, even though you might be able to say, look, Cheryl, we know you haven't gotten, we know you haven't gotten fatter 
because your waist is down two centimetres and your weight is down half a kilo over the past, you know, six weeks and you're yeah. eating more food. So we know you haven't gotten gained any weight. But sometimes that's not enough for poor Cheryl because yeah. she f- – I can tell I've gained weight. I know the scale is down and I know my waist is down, but you don't understand, Ash. I know my body and I can just tell. Well – that's where the biofeedback can help to paint the rest of the picture. Your weight and waist is the black and white. The rest, of the, all the colours, that's your biofeedback. Totally. Um, it's really co- – that's actually really common for, for people to be like, oh, no, I'm, I've definitely gotten fatter. And I'm yeah. like, well, your data says something different. I think it's really important, guys. Don't always believe everything you think and feel because your mind, your brain is designed not – for you to actually be kept happy and content. That's not what your brain is designed to do. If you're feeling like that, then you're not alert enough to protect yourself from a threat should it arise. So you are designed to have a low mood and be looking for all the bad things as a just-in-case. So I think it's important to know that. And sometimes you, you, you think and feel it and you're like, well, no, that's that's how I think and feel. I can see it. And then you kind of like justify why and it's yeah, – you're not going crazy but also it may not be – that may actually not be true. And it does, like I said, it happens all the time. People think that oh, I've gained weight, I must have gained weight. Looking at your biofeedback from there, that's where it actually, like you said, is so, so important. And what I find is the people that track their biofeedback actually are the people that really get in tune with their bodies and start to notice things that they've never noticed before. Like things like their weight spiking in mid-cycle, you know, around ovulation, things like becoming moody after that or dips in energy levels and stuff like that. And they can start to see a pattern over the course of a month or two months. And it's those people that fill in that data. And I've had clients before say, oh no, it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't do anything for you if you don't treat it like it should. And I think that if you're treating it like it's a bit of a chore and you're just like, oh, whatever, good, good, yeah, I feel good, I feel good, and you're not actually stopping and going, how do I actually feel today? Like truly, how do I feel? If you stop and just give yourself the space to think for five minutes how you truly feel, you might actually pick up on things that you – Otherwise, just brush over. And once you put that onto your biofeedback, we can start to see patterns, ties in with maybe certain foods that you've eaten that have linked to you feeling the way that you feel or sleeping the way that you sleep. And then therefore, if you're like, you know what, I actually don't really like this. I don't like the way that I feel. And you notice that it has maybe stemmed from a certain food that you eat, then you then have the choice to change that. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to change this. I'm going to change a few things here and see how that end result or see how I end up feeling in the end. So I think it is, like you said, one of the most important things. If you don't track it, it's highly likely you're not going to get the result that you're after. It's true. It really is. There's a very there's a very clear link between the people that track their um, biofeedback and the people that get the most green ticks that get the best results and actually feel the best at the end. They're the people that you see on my Instagram that are like, you know, oh my gosh, you don't understand. My life has been flipped upside down. I've never felt like this in my life. My mindset has never been so good. I'm happier than I've ever been. Those 
if you have a look at those people, they're the people that go and track all of that information. I would go out on a limb. So two things. One, I track my mood in a dub dub tea, which helps me manage, monitor and manage my depression. Yeah. Um, sometimes it can feel like you've been sad forever. For for if either for people that have that struggle with depression, or maybe even just people sometimes that just their mood is not always a high vibe mood. Yeah. And they find themselves sort of wish wash through good mood, bad mood. I find that for me individually, a couple of things can happen. One, if I do miss the signs and end up a little bit sad heart, then I find I feel I feel like I've felt like this for ages. This yeah. has been months I've been struggling with this, where it's probably been four days. Yeah. And so by actually writing in that mood column, I will make sure that I take the time to write, actually I feel a little bit sad, you know, and if I see three days in a row I've written actually I feel a bit sad, that's like a bit of a, tri- you know, it'll trigger me to go, shit Brad, this is the third day in a row, what am I doing? Is there something I can change? Is this just a phase that I'm going through that I don't have any control over at the minute are we ridiculously busy do I not have time to fill my cup or do I need to make time to fill my cup is this you know headed in that direction so it it helps with monitoring and then also taking action on how you feel if you're always seeing that you feel like shit well maybe something needs to be done yeah and then the other part is and this is a bit of a a harsher um, part some people are not going to like hearing this but how you do one thing is how you do everything. And I remember hearing that years ago and I think it's something that I really resonate with and I think when you just said that the people that get the most green ticks and the people that fill out the most in their sheet get the best results, it really is how you do one thing is how you do everything. If you can't be bothered spending, look, I'm going to say between 60 seconds and three minutes a day, filling out that day's biofeedback, it's probably not three minutes. It's probably 60 seconds, right? But just for benefit of the doubt, if you can't be bothered spending 60 seconds to really think about how did I feel with my training today? Did I feel strong? Yes. What day am I at my cycle? 14. Uh, What's my mood like? Mm, I'm pissed off I have to fill this out. Or, you know, like if you can't spend that minute to do that, how are you doing everything else? What Are you really giving 110% in your training? Are you really pushing at a proper eight out of ten, or are you doing the same piss poor effort in your training and just get going to get the tick? And look, there will be times it's okay just to get the tick. There will be times where, if that's the best you can do, then that's okay. But if that's where your average benchmark is set, then maybe you could put that little bit more in. Or if you're if you can't be bothered doing the time it takes to do the the mood and all that, what are you doing when it comes to your tracking? Yeah, are you just picking a good enough entry and saying she'll be right because I genuinely I do feel how you do one thing is how you do everything and that will if you find if you find that you can force yourself to take the time to enter that information then you'll find that maybe you're going to force yourself to do other things right as well such as one more rep when you know that you should do one more rep instead of like that will be enough reps or like I, I'll guesstimate what I had for dinner rather than going through the photos that you took or maybe actually taking photos of 
your dinner so that you can track it properly or maybe going, look, I don't know how to track this. I'm going to put it in the T-Dub group and ask. Mm. You know, maybe those – so so does the biofeedback matter? I would say 50% of it comes down to how you do one thing is how you do everything and if you're skipping that, what else are you not giving 110% to? Totally agree. Next question. Next question. Better get it up. It's 40. It's harder now. So question number two. Any tips while breastfeeding? Can I do the challenge? Can I be in a deficit? Yeah, this um, this is a question that does pop up, I think, more frequently. A lot of our clients, a lot of our clients are mums that breastfeed, have breastfed, you know, uh, you know, just at the start of their breastfeeding journey. And it's always a question that comes up just before the five-day challenge, like, can I do this? I'm breastfeeding. Absolutely. Because what we actually do is so different to then just guesstimating like what you get usually when you join a health and fitness program that entails some kind of working out your maintenance calories. Usually it's very generic and a lot of that doesn't uh, take into consideration that you could actually be breastfeeding. So when we actually work out your maintenance calories, it's based off your what you're actually doing right now. So if you're breastfeeding, perfect, because we're going to capture that in the way that we track your data. Now, when it comes to being in a calorie deficit, yes, you can be in a calorie deficit while you are breastfeeding, but it's going to be really, really dependent on your your history of dieting, how much weight you've got to lose, what you're currently maintaining on, um, that plays a massive role. Now, let's say you're in the perfect position. Let's say you're, you're, you maintain your current weight um, on a decent amount of calories. Let's say it's already at two and a half thousand calories, maybe a little bit more. Um, well, then what we would do is we would start with a conservative approach to a calorie deficit, which would be a 500 calorie deficit. Um, sometimes you can not when like when you're not breastfeeding some people can push outside of that I actually really like um, prescribing a 500 calorie deficit for majority of like I'm talking like majority majority over 95 percent of clients a 500 calorie deficit because the problem is when you actually and this is probably a question for another day but when you push outside of a 500 calorie deficit you run into things like compliance issues you're too hungry you starve you give up now, when you're breastfeeding, it's different because going into a larger calorie deficit than 500 calories um, will affect your milk supply or it may, may, high chance, affect your milk supply, which you and your breastfeeding journey and your baby is obviously number one priority. The second um, to that may then be your fat loss journey. So yeah, so absolutely, if you're in the right position, a 500 calorie deficit is perfectly fine. Um, Obviously, make sure you're getting enough fluid. That's number one. Um, You want to be making sure that you're hydrated uh, and then just monitor your milk supply from there. Monitor your baby and monitor that you, you know, you're getting enough and um, able to, to feed your baby fine. But in majority of instances, if you're, like I said, if you're in a really good place, um, maintaining wise, then yeah, absolutely you can. What is the magic number that you can cut down to while breastfeeding? There's not really a magic number, but I would say that when you dip below, now this is just like anecdotally speaking from just clients, one-on-one clients, obviously with Train With Ash clients, I'm not as in-depth into their data as I am with the one-on-one clients, but I would say that I notice once they get to about 
17, 1800 calories that people start to see that their supply may be affected if they're in the early stages of feeding. Um, when they're in the later stages, like when Bob's is nine months to 12 months old, um, you're feeding a lot less at that point. So you don't need to keep up with eight feeds a day, you know? So yeah, roughly speaking, that 17 to 1800 is probably roughly that, um, that space, but it's going to be different for everyone. And how would somebody wean off breastfeeding while in a deficit? What, how would you calculate what to do with your deficit if <laughs> you're going through the period of stopping breastfeeding? Yeah, good question. Um, it's, there's not going to be a black and white answer. It's definitely going to be something that it's more reactive than proactive. Um, you might find that as you start to taper off, and this is the other thing when it comes to breastfeeding, right? You, <laughs> you actually burn more calories from breastfeeding. But what we find is that women that breastfeed like, like sit they're still. So particularly mums in the early days, like I remember I breastfed Casey, he would feed eight, nine times a day and he would take an hour to feed. That's eight or nine hours out of every single 24 hour period that I would sit on the couch with my feet up feeding Casey. So whilst you burn more calories while you're feeding, I'm actually not moving at all. I'm sitting. So it kind of has this net effect, which a lot of people don't consider. So something when you get to the end of your breastfeeding journey and you know you're dropping a feed and maybe you're down to one feed a day you might find that during that time you're actually moving more so you're actually may you may actually be burning even more energy than you would from just the feeding alone and it doesn't actually have any effect at all. It may just be a net balance in the end. However, it's always good to monitor that. We would be monitoring your calorie intake. We'd be monitoring your weight. And then if we find that, hey, you've cut out, um, cut out a few feeds towards the end of your journey and we've noticed that you're not really dropping anything, well, your maintenance calories may be out, which that's when we can do your actual maintenance calorie adjustment. We can work that out based off the weight that you've lost over how however long you've gone into that period and we can try and work it out and readjust calories from there. But it's so hard. Like I know that people are like, just give me a straight answer. It's really hard. It's such a reactive thing. It's not something I can just go here, boom. It's going to hundred percent be like that because it's highly likely not going to be. Yeah. It's super individual. It really is. It is. And that's why, um, you know, a lot of ladies that have finished or had a baby finish their breastfeeding journey or even just in the middle of it they do prefer going into one-on-one coaching because they're like it does feel scary it feels like I don't know what to do am I going to start gaining a whole heap of weight will I lose like I don't know well you don't know and it's always helpful to have that guidance right there to go nope this is what we're going to do this week we're just going to readjust things and we'll try this yeah cool Awesome. Next question. Uh, question number three, why can some people seem to eat more than others? This is, this is a cool question because this is something that I went through for most of my life. But there's two sides to this and I'm going to get a little bit controversial for Ooh, this one. Oh, here we go. First of all, to answer it as simply as possible, some people just have a faster metabolism than others. Now, we can get into the nuts and bolts of why that could be, you know. So, for example, um, uh, Cheryl 
weighs 70 kilos. Now, if let's say Cheryl um, went through a bulking stage and she started eating more food and resistance training, she could speed her metabolism up. So you have your own range and you have your own variation in that range where you can speed your metabolism up and you can also speed it down to uh, uh, slow it down too, which stacks and stacks of people do unknowingly. So going through diets and halving their intake, reducing muscle mass during um, big calorie cut challenges, um, that will see a negative metabolic adaptation, which just means your metabolism will slow down. So every person's individual metabolism can generally be faster and can generally be slower. And however, there's huge differences from person to person. Now, the extremes on those ends, when I say person to person, if you look at some bodybuilders, so some bodybuilders that are right at the top of the food chain in terms of IFBB pros, so the real mass monster guys, you might find they're eating... I was listening to a podcast during the week where someone uh, during their competing days would eat 8,000 calories a day. I just can't imagine eating that much food. I can't imagine it either. But that gentleman, they just he simply has so much muscle mass and he's trying to grow that that's just what it takes to be there. Who and is that? No, I can't. I think it was Jay oh, Cutler or someone. Oh, okay. like, no, 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 this is a... Um, this is a um, like a Ronnie Coleman style. Oh, right, yeah. gotcha. Yep. <laughs> and so that's like at one end of it. And then you've got obviously the exact opposite end of that as well. However, what you might find is there's people that just for no reason, so say myself, for example, I had probably less than average muscle mass compared to say the average person. However, I had a faster metabolism than the average person. Now, I'd love to go back to when I was skinny, Brad, and when I would eat as much as I wanted and never gain weight. What I would love to do, because this is the controversial part, so hopefully that pack, hopefully that answers that. Some people just literally have a faster metabolism than others, and that's just as um, it's as simple as that. Some people have a slower metabolism than others. Some people have um, different hormones, so some people have more um, more ghrelin and less leptin. So ghrelin, which I think of the gremlin, so which is the hunger hormone. Some people just naturally have higher hunger hormone than other people and just genetically. And then they have a lower leptin. So leptin is the hormone that tells you that you're full. So some people's leptin is lower, you know. Then you've got people like me where mine's the opposite. I had low ghrelin and high leptin. So I, I didn't have much hunger. I ate because I had to, not because I wanted to. I never felt hungry. And then when I would eat, I would get hungry quickly. Yeah. So that was kind of how my hormones were weighted. <clears throat> now, what I would love to be able to do is to go back to skinny Brad days and actually measure my measure my calories because I think that this is a trick that people get caught up in and don't realize, and I didn't at the time, and it wasn't until the last couple of years probably that I've been able to look at that retrospectively and I guess be honest with myself. So I always felt like I ate heaps and never gained weight but I think what may have played a role potentially with myself and also for other people that feel like they just can't gain weight no matter what is you might eat a lot at certain times but then at other times it's quite the opposite and so it would not have been unusual for me in a work day to not eat all day sometimes 
because I just didn't get hungry and I got busy or whatever. And so I'd love to get be able to go back and measure my calories, track them back then, and actually see what I was maintaining on. Because maybe I was only eating 2,000 calories a day, even though it felt like I was eating quite a lot. And so a, what I had to do is I had to eat enough calories for enough time to push through that leptin barrier and to drive my ghrelin up so that I actually would start to see some hunger signals come through so that I could actually increase my calories. And therefore, I started to see ma- um, muscle growth, etc. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I think that I know you're like, it's a controversial topic, but by measuring, you find out so much more and you're like, I didn't realise because you don't know what you don't know. What gets measured gets improved. It happens everywhere. You go on a budget for um, like a financial budget. What happens? All of a sudden you You start start saving money. money. Like it's just – that's just like everything. Um, So when it comes to – I think more so just like the question of why do some people eat more? Absolutely. Some people – have got different activity levels, your genetics play a role, um, your metabolism, obviously, uh, dieting history, training history, all of those things are like a small piece to the pie that all play a role. And it's crazy how people don't realise that how big of a role their dieting history plays. You know, I've got a client, a one-on-one client now, she has had a terrible history of dieting and overtraining, like terribly. Um, We're in a reverse diet at the moment. And we're having to hold on weeks at 16, 1700 calories. And I'm, I'm like, I know we've got a long journey ahead, but that's because for the last 10, 15 years, she has done nothing but diet, spent that whole time dieting and overtraining. And she's still not where she wants to be weight wise. Like she still has, you know, 10 kilos to lose. So, um, yeah, or you, it's just really important to, I think, sometimes realize that what you're doing today, whilst it might feel really good and you quickly get in and get it done, may actually really affect you down the track in a negative way. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah so short answer is just genetics. Uh, ge- like Genetics, the, if we, the add whole pie. A, we add on to that, then the next thing will be what you've done, like your dieting history, your training history. history, all that. And then the third thing will be, are they actually eating that? Like some people, yes, they are. Mm. I believe mine was probably both. Yeah. I think that I, I have quite a wide maintenance range. Yes. So when I go through a bulk, I end up up around 3,500 calories to see consistent scale increases, yeah. which I haven't done for a while. Yeah. But so, yes, my metabolism is on the faster side, certainly. But I feel also in addition to that, for a lot of years, I probably just wasn't eating as much as what I felt like I might have been eating. So I would ask that. So whoever um, has asked this question, I'm guessing they've probably got that skinny friend chick that can <laughs> just eat and drink Oh, look, they it want. might not be a skinny friend. It could be like a lean, shredded friend and yeah, she can eat 6,000 calories a day. Maybe. Who knows? Might be Lani. She's like, you know, the muscly shredded chick that – was dying on 1,800 calories and, like, give me more – you know, like it could be. Yeah. Why Why can she eat more? Because 
she's put in the bloody work to be able to eat it. You know, yeah. that's another thing too. So I think it was seventeen hundred calories, but anyway. No, but I remember yeah, when yeah, she was down to eighteen, nineteen hundred, she was dying. She ended up pushing down to seventeen hundred, but mm. I'm saying that it was starting to really affect her at eighteen, nineteen hundred. What a cool spot to be in though. Seventeen hundred at the bottom of your fat loss phase. I know. Yeah. But arguably she was there and she was like, This is the worst. Like, I feel the worst I've ever felt. Like, I think yesterday she said, I finally feel back to normal. Oh, does she? Yeah. And she's, you know, having a diet break and begins her reverse again. Yeah. Like a legend. Yeah. Um, okay, right. you ready? Question yep. number four. What to do? Oh, shit. I wish I got this one. <laughs> what to do when you don't have enough time to train? You're going to get a chance to answer this. Be kind. Um, I'm not about to spin. We all have the same 24 hours in the day or anything like that. I will come at this from a different angle and trust that you definitely don't have enough time to train. I'm going to say... Um, let's say you've been sick, um, hubby's not around to help with the kids, the kids, you know, you've got five kids and they're sick and you are at home with them all the time. Okay. Let's just like say that this is your reality and Hey, we lived with five kids in this house for the last two weeks. And I know that I've I, seen firsthand I how made, chaos it is. I made time to go on train. <laughs> yeah. Like so, I made time to go so, on train too. So we could get away from the noise. Yeah, exactly. Um, I understand that it takes two hours to get out of the door with five kids in tow. How crazy is that? Oh, nuts. Um, We're so spoiled with one. You can say things like, go and get changed, and you'll come back changed. <laughs> and I just take that for granted. I'm like, yeah, well. You uh, know, Ma, I've got a little trick, and this is just for any other mums out there that struggle with the, why have you still not got your bloody shoes on? I asked you 10 minutes ago. I said, okay, go put your shoes on, I'll time you. And he's, it's like a, he wants to get it done as quick as possible because I'm timing him. Yeah. And he'll come back in 30 seconds. And I'm like, see, this is how all mums should do, do life. <laughs> we, we ended up. Um, what night did my brother go home? Oh, my goodness. Um, Thursday. Thursday. Thursday night, we ended up – so my brother flew out. It was wheels up at 6.30. Yeah. So he had to be at the airport at whatever, 5.50 or something. And at the, la- at the latest. 5.45 at the latest, yeah. yeah. And we were still at our house at f- about 5.21. And, and they had had all day. And I was – and <laughs> you were like, what's – are they doing in there? Like, they're going to miss their flight. And we're like, let's go check and just make sure they're all good. We go in there. There's kids without clothes on, no shoes, no socks. The bags are open. And I was like, I don't mean to be a dick about this, but you got like nine minutes to walk out the door or you're going to miss your flight. And <laughs> it's chaos in there. There's kids jumping around. It was like... And he was folding the washing. Yeah. I'm like, there's no time for folding, love. <laughs> That shit's got to go in your bag. Jam it in there. Yeah. Sit on the thing, zip it up, put the kids. I was like, you guys are crazy. I just started getting the kids and I was like, come on, in the, you're in the car. Are you ready? Yeah, bang, in the car. Next one. Where's your sock, mate? Put your sock on. <laughs> now put your shoe on. You're in the car. Bang, next one. Yeah, like literally we just really had to take a stance because yeah. I was like, these people will not be going home. They were going to miss their flight. And so I do get it's different from um, – it's different having one child in comparison to five. Yeah. Get it? I <laughs> yes. totally get it. However, okay, this is if you really don't have the time. What I find with my mums that do have three, four, five kids, and yes, do have them, okay? It's not uncommon. 
What I find is that they also come with a little bit of a perfectionist. Uh, if I can't do if I can't do it good enough, then I'm not going to do it, and Perfect. that's the wrong attitude to have because doing something is better than doing nothing for a large portion of people. Now, you may be somebody that really needs a kick up the bum and you do have the time. Maybe you do, okay? And maybe you just need a little bit of assistance with your time management. There's going to be a large portion of people. But there's also going to be a large portion of people that don't have the time and, and need to be told that just do the first exercise, okay? Yes, that's not going to be, um, it's not going to get you massive amounts of progress moving forward, but you're going to be moving forward. It's just going to be at a a much slower rate, which is better than moving, staying stagnant or moving backwards, in my opinion. So do the first exercise of your program. You might find, because some mums go, I just can't get 15 minutes. 15 minutes is all I I can get. And then, you know, little Johnny, he's screaming, pulling at my leg. And I just, it's like, I can't get anything done. Do the first exercise, spend 15 minutes. Who knows? This could be the time that little Johnny doesn't annoy you for a half an hour. And you might actually get a half an hour worth of your training done. Who knows? You might get the whole thing done. We prescribe three training three training sessions per week. How you do those is completely up to you. The way that I used to do it, because I could never train with Casey awake because Casey cried from sun up till sundown. He was a baby that screamed. He he ended up, he had a hernia. He cried that much. When people are like, yeah, yeah, he was a baby. I'm like, he was a baby with a hernia because he cried so much. So that just paints a picture of how much he cried. I couldn't train when he was awake. So I would get up at four o'clock in the morning and I would train. And then once I was finished my training, then he would wake up. And then I was like, it actually made me a better mom. I was happier. Um, and I was, be, I was able to get, a, get on with the rest of my day rather than just waiting for things to happen. Because when you're a mom, things don't go to plan. You know, like there's all, it's always chaos, particularly when they are little. So I think it's really important to try and find pockets of opportunity. If it's not viable while the kids are awake, do it while they're asleep. It's three sessions a week. Out of seven days, I'm almost certain that there could be little pockets of opportunity that we could find, even if it was 15 minutes in the morning, 15 minutes at lunch, 15 minutes at night. Like there's so many different ways to to slice it. I think let's try and find, okay, cool. This doesn't work for you. How can we find a way? What can we do right now to help you fit this into your life for you? That's the way that I like to look at it. What? I think that... Why are you smiling at me? I wasn't. I'm just trying not to cough into this microphone. People are going to stop listening after this episode. Honestly, this is why we've put it off because we still, whilst we start to feel really good, it's still, there's this lingering, there's like, what's it called? Like I'm very nasally and and I get, it's very noticeable. And then you're coughing and, anyway, let's go. We have to get the... The crew in after the over all the microphones. We're not sick anymore. You know they do that. They do the COVID cleaning. Do they do that? Mm. Haven't you seen stand up comedy now? They come and spray the microphone in between. Really? Hundred percent. No one else. It's my microphone. I'll lick it. I'll lick it. (laughs) What about the microphone? Yeah. So this one is this one can be super controversial because 
there is a small group of people that actually don't have time. Mm. And other people want to put themselves in that group sometimes. Yes. Now, I'm not talking about a busy week or because everyone has a busy week or got sick or the kids got sick. Renovating the house. I'm not renovating the house or on holidays. I'm not talking about that. Everyone goes through that. Even we go through that. And there's sometimes weeks that I don't get three training sessions in because life got too busy. It might might happen two, three times a year or got sick. So I I don't think I trained at all last week because I was... We trained once on Friday. There you go. Thursday, Friday. Yeah. There you go. So this one, it, it can be controversial because people will get triggered one way or the other. Now, most people, in, this is my opinion, right? If you get triggered by this, then if I'm the person that literally doesn't have time and there are people in that category, I'm not getting triggered because number one, I probably don't have time to listen to this podcast. But number two, you know yourself if you legitimately do not have the time right? Yeah. However, the people that tend to get triggered are the ones that go, they feel guilty because they know that they could make that time, but they choose to do other things. Totally. Not everybody, <laughs> no, yeah. but f- to answer the question, like I don't have time, be on- just be honest with yourself and ask yourself, what do you want? This is your life. You do get to choose how you spend it. You are exactly where you are because you have chosen to be here. F- yes, things outside of your control happen, but there's a lot that's inside your control that you get to choose. So depending on the job that you've chosen, that might dictate whether you do or don't get to go to the gym. Now, to me, the gym is one of the most important things for me personally because it impacts my mental health so much. So for me, I prioritize training because if I don't have that mental health aspect taken care of, I'll end up depressed and my life as a whole will be very sad. So, And it will affect those around you as well. It'll affect you. It'll affect Casey. It'll affect my friends and family. My quality of life would be poor. So if I had a job that didn't allow, that meant from now on you can't train, I would not take that job. I would... Maybe I'm. I've found myself in this position all of a sudden, and I, you know, and I, and I want to get out of it. You, I know you can't click your fingers, but what can you do today to start moving towards getting to a place where you do have time to do those things? And the next part to it as well is if it is your job that's super important, or if it's being a mom that's super important, or whatever it is that's stopping you. Oftentimes, I would say you will be more effective in that role if you can find a way to get to the gym and train. Yeah. I know personally once I've trained or once I once I take my physical take care of my physical health and my mental health, I'm so much more effective in the other areas. So if I stopped training, I feel like I'd do the same amount of work or maybe less. Yeah. It feels like that's a boost for me. It's a supercharge for me. So sometimes it might feel like shit Brad, I just can't push pause on this. I just have to keep going. You might actually find that if you just actually hit pause on it, get your training done and come back, not only do you get the same amount of work done, you might get more done. What's that 
what's the name for stretching workout to oh, we spoke about a couple of podcasts i know it's not the dunning kruger is it no 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 that's a, the more you know the less you feel like you know yeah so whatever the thing <laughs> is well however much time you have there is a law not a law there is a thing that's however much time you have to do a task yeah. you will fill that i speak about it so much yeah so I if you if you've got an hour to vacuum it'll take an hour if you've got five minutes It'll take five minutes. No one's seen a clean house until the moment before you're like, my, the in-laws are going to be here in 10 minutes and you're like, holy crap. <laughs> and then you magically, your house will look like it's never been lived in in 10 minutes. Yeah. But if you've got to clean it just on a lazy Sunday, it'll take you the whole take day. Take you the whole day. So yeah. um, I would say my suggestion would be, number one, schedule it. If you are too busy, schedule it. Put You're 40% it, more likely to achieve anything that you schedule. Put it in your calendar okay. and make it as non-negotiable as work. So mm. people will get up in the morning at 7 o'clock, get ready and go to work because they've got to be there by 8 o'clock. They'll finish work at 4 p.m. or 5 p.m. and go, I don't feel like going to the gym now. Why don't you make the gym as high a priority as work? You'll, totally. s- you'll easily say, I don't feel like going to the gym, so I'm not going to go. Well, you didn't do that with work. And I can guarantee you that you wouldn't get up every day and feel like going to work. No way. Not everyone bounces out of bed with a backflip. Because I can't wait to sit at my office today for eight hours. So you don't feel like going to work either oftentimes, but yet you do it because you know you have to and it's a priority for you. And if you don't do it, something negative will happen to you. Like, and yeah, and the on-flow effect from it. The on-flow effect. Yeah. And I would say, why don't we prioritise training? If it's as, if it, my training is as important as my work because it's um, my mental health for me and so it gets prioritised. So I'd say, number one, let's, let's prioritise it, same as work. Let's schedule it the same as you do with your work. My next tip would be get it done early in the week. Yeah. What's the thing about if you got don't to, skip the Monday? If you got to eat a frog, eat the frog in the morning <laughs> or whatever. What is that um, thing? Or is it two frogs? Oh my goodness! I think it's um, Shelley, and I'm sure Shelley says, "Eat the frog." Eat yeah, the frog eat the whatever. frog. Whatever we you call got to, it, eat the frog. So <coughs> I'm going to Google it because I'm pretty sure it's eat the frog. If you can get it done earlier in the week, the more the more days that you push it back, the more chance there are that you're going to miss it. Now. That's not to say it's not okay to push it back. It is. If you're someone like young Ashley over here, she will get it done no matter what. It, Ashley. If it gets to Friday, she will do Friday, Saturday, Sunday in order to get it done. And that's fine. However, if you are habitually missing the gym because you get to Saturday, you haven't done one session, you go, well, I'm going to miss my ticks this week. So I might as well not go at all. If you're that person, when you decide to prioritize it and you decide to schedule it, schedule it for Monday. Get yourself off to that. Make it a non-negotiable on a Monday, whether you've got to do it in your lunch break at work or whatever. Make it happen on that Monday because that will get your day and the momentum started. And then for the people that say they don't have time, so many people do have time. I see how people spend their time. I hang around people and I see people. (laughs) I have quite a lot of entrepreneurial friends. I have a lot of friends that own businesses and multiple businesses. I have a lot of friends that... I have kids, I have friends that have no kids, I have friends that have school sport and all this stuff. And out of all of our friends, there's no one that I know that doesn't have enough time to do their three one-hour training sessions. They don't all choose to do them, 
but they all have the time and when they don't do it, it's because they've chosen not to. If you do, and again, this is not everyone, if Elon Musk came in and said, Brad, I don't have time, I totally agree. You probably think Elon Musk trains. I bet you, well, did you see the photos of him just recently? No. It doesn't look like he trains. Uh. Some photos came out of him on a super yacht, which, look, admittedly, his super yacht looks better than my super yacht, so I'm not having a go at him. But he doesn't – look, he probably does. I bet you – huh? <laughs> I said you don't have a super yacht. That's why his one looks better. Um, I bet you he has some kind of a routine where he makes sure he does 15 minutes of push-ups or sit-ups. I bet you he's that type of person. He'd be in his office and he, he does it. He sleeps in his office because he's so busy or whatever. So if Elon Musk came in and he said, Brad, you don't understand, I'd say, you know what, Elon, fair enough. I get it. If someone came in and they said, I have a, um, a debilitating injury, fair enough. I understand. You are in that category of people. However, if someone comes in and says, I have an eight-hour day, I work an eight-hour day job, sometimes I have to do overtime, I'll move in with you. I'll do your deal. I'll move <laughs> in with you. And if I can get you to the gym three times a week, you owe me a million dollars. And if I don't... I'm not giving you the million, but something. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you can see what I'm saying. Totally. It's so easy just to say I don't have time and then get triggered when someone says, yeah, you you do. I'm not saying we've all got the same 24. No, we don't. we don't. We don't. We've all got different things on. But, yeah, but different priorities. Different priorities that we've chosen. You know, it's funny. I When I started saying things like um, – I can't. I don't. Don't think you. I don't know if you noticed it the other day. I said it. We had a meeting, a marketing meeting, and um, I. I said I can't, and then straight away I smiled and I stopped, and I'm like, no, it's actually not. I can't. I won't I do won't. that. Yeah. And I think that's a really, a really, really um, good way. It's very, very powerful to see if that annoys you when you say I won't and how that feels because it felt in that time when I said it to those girls when we had the meeting and I changed it to I won't I'm like yeah I 100% won't like I won't do that um but there's some things that yeah like if you say I won't and it does trigger something in you like well hang on a minute actually I will do that like and it makes you feel terrible then there's a high chance there's a reason that um, it doesn't feel very nice. It doesn't, well, it doesn't, I can't find the time to train. I won't find the time to Honestly, train. Honestly, it's a and challenge for me. I'm like you saying that I can't, I can't train. I don't have enough time. I'm like, okay, cool. Let's sit down and I, w- I want to know exactly your every move. So like that's what I want to know. Like I'm like, okay, yeah. this is a challenge. How can we? How can we find mm. the time? How what is it? I know you don't have the time, but if you did, how would you do it? Exactly. Oh, that's like my favourite my favourite saying. I don't. I know you don't. But if you did. If there was a way, how would you make it work? How would you make it happen? I do it to Casey all the time. And I know that, yeah, (laughs) the people, not the people, some people. (laughs) The people. The people that say I don't or whatever. Elon Musk trains. I feel like, there you go. I feel like I get triggered by it. I I feel like I get triggered a little bit by it. By which part? When people say I don't have time? Yeah. 100% I get triggered. Oh, good. I feel like it's an insult. It's I feel insulted (laughs) because I'm like, if I I can find the time, yes, all right, I've only got one kid. I chose to just have one kid. All right, I I don't know what else. Let's swap swap your work hours with our work hours and I'll be on your couch eating your Netflix, eating, uh, watching your Netflix, (laughs) eating your popcorn with my feet up. Wait, and I'll be like, this is great. This is fantastic. Now, I don't 
want to swap anything. I don't want to change. No, it. No, I'm no, happy no. with with my life. I'm actually ecstatic with it, to be honest. But the point is, out of there's few people out of my group, and I have a friendship circle group that is more so entrepreneurs and business people that have chosen to spend more time working. You know, instead of a forty-hour-a-week job, instead of a forty-hour, yes, spend eighty hours a week working. So, lots of my yeah. friends work 50, 60, 70, and eighty hours a week, and they all still train, and they all still come even over. bubbles. He goes for his walk in the morning. They're like s- they're still here for UFC Sunday. They're still here. Mm. You know, they still find they still make the time. You know, to do the things that are important to them. And so, when someone tells me that. They are a librarian. I don't know. So I'm going to get hate from a librarian now. But if you're a librarian and you work 38 hours a week and you can't, you can't find time to train. To me, I'm like, look, if there's nothing else out of the ordinary, like, look, I look, I've only working with one-on-one clients. You know, Um, I get up. I got to get the kids ready. Then I commute to work. It's an hour to work. I'm there till six drive home six till seven. Um, then we have football seven till eight. Like there are, da- but that's not seven days a week. No. And if there's you, like jump up, uh, just cool. Get up an hour early. Well, we'll get, try get, get yourself a $29 dumbbell kit from um, Big W. Get up one hour early before anyone else. So you're not getting bothered and do your 45 minutes of training then. Bang. Yeah. Or shitch. do it on the weekend. Well, there's two days. Yeah. Yeah. There's two days on the weekend. Like there's mm. what I think rather than being super um, – anyone being super triggered by it. But, like, it doesn't have to go like that. Remember, there is means and ways to everything if you choose for it to be a priority. And that's – I think that's the key there is that it doesn't have to be Monday morning, get up at 3 a.m. It doesn't have to be. However, if that doesn't work for you, what – will work for you. Where can where can we make this work? Is it a matter of you are somebody who works twice as many hours as us and has six children hanging off you? In that case, is it doing a set of squats on a Monday and a shoulder press on Tuesday and like actually dedicating 15 minutes to yourself? Is it is it more about that? Is that going to look like progress for you? Because I think that's really important to realise is that we're all very different. We all have different priorities. And if you are somebody that's struggling to prioritise yourself and you know that it should be a priority, well then what are you going to do to change something in your life to make you a priority? Boom. Boom. Last one. All right. Um, how do I find my deficit calories? Uh, dude, Come this on, is, Brad. This is super easy. So um, the uh, the calories at which you start seeing the scale go down are your deficit calories. So where would you start? I guess we have to re- – it was a bit of a – there's no context with this, but let's rewind. Let's start with your maintenance calories. Um, how would you find your maintenance? And I know you might not want to maintain, but let's just hit this bit first and then I'll explain surplus and deficit calories. If you track every single thing that you eat and drink for say two weeks is a good amount of time. That's not the perfect number, but that's a good number. Everything you eat, everything you drink for two weeks and also during that two weeks, weigh yourself every single morning, nude, 
If, if you can, <laughs> if you can, or just wear the same clothes at least. Don't wear um, your uggy one, your snuggy. What's that? Woody thing one day. Because that weighs like three kilos. And then nothing the next, yeah. you know. So try and have the same thing on. And then at the end of the two weeks, if your weight is within a hundred, couple hundred grams from week one to week two, then you've found your maintenance calories. Those calories that you've been eating on average, so it averaged out to be 2,000 calories a day. It might have been 1,900 some days, 21 some others, but you just average your calories week one divided by seven and then do the same for week two there's your maintenance so you maintain on 2000 calories now on average if you want to then enter a deficit how do i find my deficit calories i tend to lean towards the same as ash in most situations which i would say start by dropping 500 calories from your maintenance and then base uh base it on there from what your body how your body responds so if you start losing 200 to 500 grams a week then you've found your deficit calories you're in a calorie deficit and you're losing weight go you if you You. if you find that you don't lose anything that's okay some people have uh, a wider maintenance range as i was talking about earlier um you know there's tracking accuracy and all those kinds of things to be taken into account as well but let's assume your tracking's on you may just need to dip down into below the other side of that maintenance range a little bit more some people's bodies you know adapt a lot faster as well so not only can you have a wider maintenance range some people's bodies adapt super quick as as well so you might find that you're in a uh, deficit for only two weeks and your body starts to begin to adapt to those calories. So um, I guess that's the only thing I would mention as well. Even though you might start in a deficit, a 500 calorie deficit by going from 2000 down to 1500, you might be like, okay, cool, I'm losing weight. Don't forget, you can't just stay at 1500 forever. Your body will adapt to those calories and you'll need to reduce it further to keep the deficit calories there. Yeah, exactly. It's kind of similar to the um, the question before about breastfeeding. It's yeah, you, you're looking to be roughly speaking in that 500 calorie deficit, and you will need to be reducing those calories over a period of time, depending on um, how much you want to lose overall. But roughly speaking, probably every three weeks, I would say roughly speaking, you'll find that you start to, I guess, tape your fat loss starts to taper off and you'll want to drop down probably about a hundred calories and continue to do that over time. Um, I think it's really important to remember that your weight, you, there'll be days that your weight goes up or weeks that your weight stays the same, but there's also going to be weeks where you lose more than 500 grams as well. Like, um, it's really important to to realize that and and trust that. Okay, I just have to keep following the process. Too many people hit a I hit one week as a plateau, and then they're like, "Nah, that's it. I'm going back to my 1,200 calorie diet and my seven cardio sessions a week." That's the opposite of what you need to do. That's what you've always done. Let's do something different and trust the process and keep going. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, that's it. Question number five is done and dusted. Um, Really interesting. Over the next couple of weeks, we are going to be interviewing current clients. This has been something that you guys have asked us for probably the last 12 months, I would say. Um, So we've lined up a few interviews. I think we've got our very first interview on Wednesday next week. Um, And then, yeah, there's, uh, I, I would say there's probably 
five to ten people that have put their hand up. So super stoked about that. So keep your ears peeled for that. Um, ears peeled. Ears peeled. <laughs> um, is there anything else you want to let the fans know? I didn't even know that was happening. There you go. I organised it last week. Um, I just figured if I didn't organise it, then it was never getting done. Uh, who is it? Do we know who the first one is? or it's The not? first one's Courtney. Awesome. In T-Dubs. Yeah, so we've got... Yeah, quite a few that have put their hands up. Um, so, yeah, so I think we'll slot them in. It won't, we won't go like one a week and then just miss out on uh, like general Q&As, but we might even slot in one every second week or I don't know. I don't know how we're going to do it yet. Um, if you don't already follow me, make sure you do Ash at Ash underscore underscore lane and go follow old Bradley over here, the old 40-year-old at Trained with Brad. Um and if you've got any potty questions, feel free to send them through to Brad because he loves them. But other than that, that's about it, guys. Love you. Love you. Bye. Bye.